0: Welcome to another free first-hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to TheHigherSideChats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. It's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine, higher side chatters. Riding the choppy and unpredictable waves of life from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And in troubled times like these, sometimes the best medicine is to parse the paranoia and carefully crafted paradigm that supports it, to find the data and the dot connectors that can ease you back into a power position and rekindle the fearlessness one needs to truly live. And other times, with an agenda this exhausting, the best medicine is to talk about anything else. Well, call me crazy, but today we're going to try to thread a needle through both types of medicine. Not by dismantling what we've been through again, but by looking at the road ahead and making sure we have the right tools for the terrain, and by diving into completely unrelated and off-the-radar curiosities that are just good fun. Dare I say we have something for everybody, but with me is my para-esoterra podcasting brother from another mother, here for the 14th time, the great Gordon White. In 13 previous podcasts, we have talked about everything from aliens, archons, astrology and animism, to hybrid humans, permaculture, potent grimoires, and the elite's secret belief system. He's the author of Starships, The Chaos Protocols, and Pieces of Eight, with a new one on the way and he has one of the most diverse, detailed, and unique subscription services I know of at RuneSoup.com, offering a new magic-themed course every quarter with loads of extras sprinkled in along the way. A much-needed light for the darkest of dark timelines from one edge of the world to another, the Medicinal Mage of Middle-Earth and Certified Shaman of the Tasmanian Shire, Gordon, my good man, welcome back to The Higher Side. How do you... Possibly
1: come up with things to say if we're at episode fourteen. I'm going to need to start robbing <laughs> banks or something just to to fill out the intro at the beginning.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, you're always putting out content, so I do feel like I always got something to say. The certified shaman. I mean, that's yeah, that's stuff. true. There Exciting, you, go. you know. Yeah, like to keep busy. <laughs> yes, and of course, kind of a paradox of an intro, trying to offer two almost contradictory types of medicine for people, but. If Big Pharma can do it, so can we. And I actually did a meditation this morning, saged the house due to the passing of our dog who died in our arms last week and wanted to get rid of that lingering bummer energy. And then I flipped a coin onto my altar and asked the spirits what the better way to start was. And they said cyberpunk, which is rising out of virus punk at the moment, (laughs) as you've talked about. In your recently released and really great presentation called Digital Best Practices that is super important and also maps out the road ahead as you see it, where you make some bold predictions that I'm not hearing anywhere else, really. And on the flip side of that coin was your latest course, Fairies, UFOs, and Psy, which are three reliable words on any higher side bingo card, so we will get to that. I think this makes sense, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they do. It's You're talking about
1: communication, connectivity, and relationality, right? So whether it's how we do that and how we don't with the tools that are available to us. And also that idea has been with mankind forever. So the origin of technology is odd. And I write about this. In fact, that's basically what Starships is about. But there's also, towards the end of Pieces of Eight, Globally speaking, in in creation and origin myths, there is an uneasy relationship between mankind and technology. And that doesn't necessarily have to be like gimmicky crap like VR headsets. It can literally be a spear or like a blow dart. It's that idea of how the human extends its capacity into the sort of extra human world. Because we're more or less, with a few notable exceptions, like elephants, chimps, and corvids. We're like the only ones who do that on this planet anyway that have physical bodies. So how that came to be has caused millions of sleepless nights over the millennia. And it's funny, like we don't do that. We don't sit with just how weird technology is in the first place when we have discussions about what's our best digital strategy and and so on. But in that sense, they actually are aligned. It's about human connectivity and agency in the cosmos
0: fair enough yes if anyone can make sense of my grandiose rambling and nonsense it's you and technology was a nice section of the latest module of the fairies ufos and psi course so i guess we are in the realm of something that makes sense but i guess a real basic way to start is just to ask how you are holding up on your permaculture paradise on the edge of a prison colony
1: yeah right (laughs) um for people who don't know Tasmania is the sort of vagina-shaped island south of the mainland of Australia. And Australia is certainly living up to its police state dreaming, its prison colony. It's insane what's going on. And the, the sort of psychic and psychological and physical damage that is happening on the mainland is unforgivable and indescribable. For whatever reason, it's not happening in Tasmania. I'm still trapped in the country needing permission from the federal government to leave it. But if you can get to the island, so far life is good. We never even had masks, so there's never been any kind of, there's a couple of weeks of things being closed. We do have the check-in app, as everyone at a state level has down here. So that's what's going on in terms of physical life here. As for how that impacts people, I mean, not well. It's a challenging, it will be the most challenging (laughs) sort of psychological ordeal you'll go through at least until about 2024 to 2027. So that's not great. In terms of digital health, some of the most amazing things have come out of it, which is just stopping using social media, particularly at the beginning of the year. That's was this has been amazing. I managed to finish the book. You just get so much more done. This whole process has forced me to have like friends in the Valley and all people who are kind of aligned. I think I mentioned to you, Greg, my acupuncturist, knew of who I was from the higher side chats. Yes. So that was So I, I think that's cute that we have, she's amazing, but we have an acupuncturist here at the edge of the world who's been practicing for 20 years, and I show up because I have some health issues from a couple of months ago. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I think I know who you are from higher side chats." I'm like, no, that's good. So that's sort of what's going on here, and as for how we're holding up, you know, we do our best. We are very fortunate in how we live. So, you know, we have this beautiful property on a river at the edge of the world. So if you need to just get away from the just simply iconic and demonic blizzard of what's going on online and in the world, you can just step outside. And that's lovely.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't going to bring that up, but since you did, I know, of course, you went in for acupuncture and you had told me about this energetic connection between the liver and the heart, which was really interesting and might be a good thing for people to hear if anybody out there is feeling stifled or has been sad for too long. Can you tell people about that piece of it and how acupuncture works in that regard?
1: Well, so big klaxons and caveats that this is not something I know much about personally. And I'm sure there are people listening who know a lot more about traditional Chinese medicine than me. So apologies in advance for probably messing some of this up. I went in for a, well, basically a broken heart, like the despair and whatever, and loneliness. And the last 18 months have sucked, right? Like if you look at the suicide numbers for people, young people in Australia and actually around the world, it's insane. And part of the program is despair and terror and fear and all the rest of it. So eventually that adds up. And so I kind of went in thinking it was heart stuff. And when you get your diagnosis, obviously in traditional Chinese medicine, the body is understood, I would argue, better because it, in a more holistic way, but including, you know, energetic and meridians and so on. But how something like that is understood, or in my case, was that actually because the heart is the seat of your Shen, which is a kind of a part of you that is involved in going out in the world and expressing yourself and expression and so on. And it receives its support and energy from the liver, and it wasn't receiving that. And yeah. my acupuncture says, Have you had any like restrictions on your expression or creativity in the last 18 months? And I'm like, ah, bitch, have a seat. <laughs> where, where, do I, where do we begin? And that's why I'm like, do you know what I do as a job? That's how I found out she listens to the show because I'm like, do you know what I do as a job? And she's like, vaguely, because I listen to the higher side chats. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that was really, really interesting that there are not just diagnoses that can match better symptoms you are experiencing but consequently as you'd expect there are treatments and options that are available so if you are if you haven't looked at it before and I know we've discussed acupuncture and so on but if you haven't looked at TCM and you're in a sort of you know pandemic malaise and that's very understandable think about it because it's not like they can open up the old-timey book of traditional Chinese medicine and go ah pandemic, take Shen, take these herbs <laughs> not exactly that but you'll find that because everyone is different. And that's one of the beauties of the system being diagnostic on an individual basis. You will find ways to sort of like have bodily responses that match you and your situation. So it's been a fascinating healing journey that wouldn't have happened had all of this not go on, I guess.
0: Well, that's a great summary. I've just been absorbing all this stuff. Whenever I hear about health-related modalities that relate to either the water in our bodies or the electrical current of our bodies. We could say the energy of our bodies. Because those two factors seem like the biggest ones to me, and Western medicine doesn't even acknowledge them or think they're important. So, Oh, I
1: couldn't agree more. It's crazy. And as obviously, you mentioned I'm now properly certified as a shamanic energy medicine practitioner. Not that I wasn't on board with this stuff before, of course. I just have a training in a specific modality. But we are big on the water game down here because of everything taking so long. We're getting rainwater tanks and all the rest of it put in, which we paid for six months ago that haven't showed up yet. And they'll show up just in time for the dry season because that's what happens. But anyway, it was really interesting to go through a health scare about a month ago that involved overnighting in a hospital, which I haven't done since I was, I don't know, 16 maybe, and just the difference between, and I hate to call them alternative. When we talk about alternative healing, we've had this discussion before, it's the materialist one that's the alternative because every other culture, everywhere, everywhere, everyone, including our own up until the rise of this kind of machine metaphor had some understanding that what went on in your inner life, your psychic life, would have a play out in your physical body and the same thing, understanding of water and energetics and energy. It's just wild. And... Not just that, because I haven't been in for so long and I'm more energetically sensitive, of course, than I would have been otherwise. I haven't been in a hospital and we live in a quite clean EMF environment. Not completely clean, but as good as you're going to get in a Western country. We live at the very edge of Tasmania, right? Mm -hmm. My goodness, the EMF environment of a modern hospital is insane it's not just everyone has their phone still which is whatever but all these devices that are around you and you think this is where people come to heal and we're basically putting them in actual microwaves and I don't mean to get x-rayed and, and all the rest of it although there's that just in general when you lie in the hospital bed and you're surrounded by, <laughs> by these emanating devices you think wow where do we begin to have that discussion
0: Right, right. And not to go off on a tangent, but of course, I'm absorbing a lot of stuff related to pregnancy and the birth process and comparing natural environments for birth centers and stuff like that to hospitals. And the natural books all say, look, as the husband, father, your job is one thing, produce more oxytocin in your partner and reduce adrenaline. And what Makes for oxytocin, it's a spa like relaxing environment with dimmed lights. Not these bright, crazy hospital lights and the beepings and stuff. Also, familiar people as opposed to complete strangers. Basically, everything in the hospital process is going to create adrenaline, which launches into fight or flight and stops the birth process. From an evolutionary perspective, it's like, oh, if you're going to get attacked by a jaguar, you better stop this process, get up and get the hell out of there. And those things in the modern world are triggered by the hospital experience, so say the natural paths. And everybody else thinks we're silly for having a kid in something that is more like a spa retreat type setting. And I'm fine with them thinking that's stupid, but it is all about the production of those chemicals, which in the Western process, they're totally doing everything wrong to achieve the goals of a healthy, flowing birth process.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess ultimately it's the other one's decision, but is that the direction you're heading? Are you going to do a home birth or have you not made up your
0: mind yet? We're going in middle ground with a birth center as opposed to a home birth. Although as time has gone on, she's like, you know, we probably could just do it here. I'm like, maybe on the second one, but for the first one, I want (laughs) at least experienced people around if there is a second one.
1: So the, the argument for hospitals is just in the rare instances and they are rare. Yeah,
0: four out of one thousand.
1: Yeah, where something goes wrong, and then you're going to want to need to be near a hospital, right? So if you're yeah. near a hospital, you know, if you do want to do, I'm. What do I know about you know, pregnancy and birth? But it seems to me like the argument for hospitals is when something goes wrong. But if you're near one, it's like, well, it's pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. They have a process for the whole Plan B thing. But uh, as I've read in the statistics, it's four out of one thousand women have a what they call a negative birth element which could be something as small as a breech birth or a cord around the neck these are things that can be solved in a home environment too they're not as radical as the system makes them out to be or if you see a movie where it's like oh it's going to be breech i mean it's like the titanic's going down when really there are processes that doulas and midwives have to handle such a thing so pretty rare that something would go wrong especially if you've been doing the natural thing throughout the whole time But I mean, Jesus, we are off track. Let's get into the digital best practices presentation. I've just been holding all that knowledge and been. Uh, You could have
1: segued into fairies there. We could have gone changelings. You could have, you know, anyway.
0: Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. I I was going to say, when you said you didn't know much about birth, I'm like, what does anybody know? Because as you say in the module, like, birth is way more mysterious than death, even. And there's just so much weirdness around it. But maybe we'll get there. So, digital best practices. People might remember us talking about your kind of utopian vision of rewilded towns with big home gardens and hobbit houses and a UFO in the driveway. This sort of back-to-nature reality coupled with a fully developed ether-slash-torsion physics model. I love that vision as well, but as you say, we have to go through cyberpunk to get to solarpunk, which is what we might call that utopian vision. And we all know where we've been so far, but it's these potential next phases of cyberpunk that are the most intense, and we don't know how close they will get to achieving their goals, but it is nice to know what those goals are, wouldn't you say? Yeah, totally.
1: So that was obvious to me, I think, on your show when we did whatever it was April of last year. that And I said bubble what you think of as the virus or the health incident, and so that you can argue about that later. And I've actually quite enjoyed The destruction from the inside of the sort of Rockefeller medicine cosmology that's gone on, but that's immaterial to the actual discussion because the idea was to use it as the air cover to bulldoze down the real economy and rebuild it in a managed technocratic way, which we're about 30, 40% of the way through, depending on where you live, because that was obviously the destruction of independent small businesses in favor of big business. That's the 2020 story of most successful year ever for billionaires and so on, whilst 25% of small businesses in New York are permanently shuttered and now they have segregation again and whatever, right? But actually, the cyberpunk component of this is the app ecosystem that's showing up, the so-called vaccine passport or the check-in app or the rest of it. And people seem to think that we're winning that because of what, depending on when you're listening to this, boris johnson but it like i don't know if you understand how english mouths work but you can tell they're lying when they're moving particularly when they're politicians mm-hmm. and i said no vaccine passports for the winter and everyone's like yay we won i'm like no you didn't um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and besides the bank of england's one of the central banks that is further ahead with the central bank digital currency so what will probably happen is it will come through that door it'll be like credits with your nhs app because it doesn't matter what you call it the idea is that you will end up with a digital id that is going to be used to manage you from a climate alarmism perspective so that you'll have a certain amount of credits and you'll only be able to move a couple of kilometers a day or if you eat meat it will only be once every three weeks and this will all be managed through the app because you literally will not be able to pay for say, (laughs) stake with the CBDC currency replacement. That's where they want to get to, right? So what I've been saying from the beginning is that's where they want to get to. Not enough people know that yet. One, it won't work technically. None of these people have ever had real jobs. Like you actually can't. It's just the ultimate in hubris. So in terms of application or implementation, it won't work. But secondarily, not enough people realize this is where we're going yet. And when they do, when they're about to be told, hey, we're going to lock you down again to save the planet, you haven't seen the riots that we're going to get. So it all ends. It just doesn't end yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what I mean by you have to get through cyberpunk to get to solarpunk. And not just that, and this is a Catherine Fitz paraphrase of Tina Turner, we can do this nice or rough, like we're going to get to (laughs) solarpunk nice or rough because this process, the up and the down of this technocratic implementation leads to a lot of really, really bad stuff. Like we're already seeing maternity hospitals speaking of close in New York and all the rest of it, because the plan is in the process of failing in its implementation. But the only thing they know how to do is implement more each time that happens, right? That's how you get a collapse. So that's what I mean by you got to get through cyberpunk to get to solarpunk. The good news is Cyberpunk itself has many inspirations rather than necessarily technologies that are there for you. And we also have that in anarchism and similar cosmologies. We have notions of counter-economics and so on. And the trouble is, in most discourse, we've replaced something like counter-economics with just the word Bitcoin. It's like, oh, yeah, Bitcoin, we'll just buy stuff in Bitcoin. I'm like, no, that, you, might, you literally might not be able to. I, I have a bunch of Bitcoin, I'm pro-crypto, whatever, right? But I'm also pro-crypto in the sense that there's a bunch of options available to them, not necessarily seizure, but make them illegal or force you to convert them. Like you, We don't know how that story ends. It doesn't strictly matter as long as Bitcoin is something you have or cryptos are something you have from an understanding of counter-economics. Because counter-economics is also, in my case, living in the Huon Valley, like living somewhere where it is rural, is I have way too many birds, so I end up with way too many chicken and duck eggs, is literally trading them in a non-monetary way for things that my neighbors have and so on. That's all counter-economic, especially if I go into a store and don't check in and swap some eggs for something that's in the store. That's real counter-economics, especially once we get to that CBDC level. So this is what I mean by we have to go through cyberpunk to get to solarpunk or whatever you want to call it on the other side. But... That's both a good and a bad news story as long as you can see it. If you can see it, if you can see that this is actually what's happening and that's been my struggle and rally not really struggle, but I guess um, rallying call for the last 18 months is see what this actually is in the up and the down because we're sort of at that inflection point where it all generally unwinds disastrously next year. Hmm. We don't go back to normal at the end of that. The rest of this decade has its own challenges, which we'll save for episode 15. I don't know. (laughs) But that's where we're at. And I put together this presentation because this is sort of my background. So for people who don't know, before when I had real jobs, they were doing digital strategy and data strategy for really big companies, really big media companies in Europe. I've been on stage and on panels for Google in Germany and Ireland and, and the UK and whatever. I never worked for them, but like I was a thought leader in this space, right? So it was very obvious to me <laughs> coming into it what the plan was because it's always been the plan. Like I've been in the room where when Google's offered like half a million euro to media companies in Europe that have failed. And that's clearly deep state CIA money to get them to i have been there when people have spoken about what do we do with people's data and how do we track them the whole time and so on. This is always the road that they were taking. So I've had my head there for a long time and I like digital technology. That's that sort of early millennial thing is we were the kids who briefly, it must be said, thought that the internet was going to be that kind of utopia rather than the ghastly surveillance system it's become. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's okay, cool. So we've got a surveillance grid or we've got like apps and central bank digital currencies coming and so on. I guess we just don't use digital technology and see, that's not right. And that's kind of why I had to put this presentation together. And it comes back to that idea we opened the show with about if you have a nuanced understanding of technology, you don't necessarily think in those, ironically for digital technology, binaries. You don't necessarily go, okay, cool, I'll get rid of it. Now, some stuff you absolutely should. There should be no Facebook or any of that in your life. Like that one is actually easy. And I don't want to hear, oh, that I won't hear from my family. It's like you call them and you say, for my mental health, I'm not using Facebook. Let's have a group chat on an app that doesn't make me want to kill myself, right? (laughs) I don't want to to hear it. Everyone has these excuses. Anyone who's on Facebook after 2016 is over the age of, I don't know, 60 and typing in all caps. So some stuff you absolutely can get rid of. (laughs) And I beg you to get rid of it. But you don't get rid of the whole thing. And what I was trying to get people's head around, and I put this presentation together, and I actually gave a presentation on the platonic technology stack. How exciting is that when I had a Mm -hmm. real job in London? It was sort of tumbleweeds at the end of it. But I built like a data management platform for a media company I was working for. I say I built, I didn't build it. I was the person in charge with delivering it. So
0: project manager.
1: Yeah, (laughs) just in case people think I was that kind of nerd. And the same thing happens here. So people keep asking, it's like, well, if I can't use Facebook anymore, what should I use? And that's real dumb capitalism, right? That's sort of, oh, I'll just go to Telegram then. And it's like, no, if you think like that, and I use this sort of animist Indigenous Australia idea of like, we need to be thinking about ways of thinking rather than products of thought. So if you say, well, if I can't use Facebook, do you just want me to start using Telegram? I'm like, no, I want you to think differently about platforms and connectivity. And obviously, although Telegram's very quickly turned into Facebook, but... I want you to think, what am I achieving here? What am I doing? And it's connectivity. I want you to have a theory of connection that replaces the idea, and we've moved long out of it, of like the sort of monolithic Facebook Twitter feed of everyone all on the one platform to smaller, kind of like hyper-connected groups, which means the communities you're in can be on Signal and Telegram and whatever else, rather than all in the one place. I wanted people to get their head around that thinking, which is, well, what are you what are you after? You're after communication. You're after being in relation. You're after that kind of connectivity. And when you think at that level, it means, yes, you can use Telegram until you can't, because the guy who founded it is like a member of the World Economic Forum. So it'll turn on everyone soon or eventually. I still use it. It's good enough for now, but I'm not married to it. And when it gets worse, we think differently. The kind of point of the presentation was to give people what's available for them to use now from a digital best practice, but crucially, how to think about how you get your own digital best practice.
0: Hmm. Well, that is a great summary of that presentation overall. The part that I latched onto was where you have this chart and you lay out three tracks to the agenda, the medical, the financial, and then the digital slash political and Of course, you did talk about some of these things in that summary, but it's a great chart that shows where we've been, where we are right now, and then what to expect over the next 18 months in the future column. And I wanted to talk about the future column of those three categories. The medical one says that we will see ongoing injections, possibly monthly for the Delta and other variants. And the reporting of injection injuries is going to be indistinguishable from these new variants. And that is exactly what I think we are seeing now. Of course, the presentation is a few months well, that's old.
1: literally what happened. The presentation came out long before Israel worked that out yes. and announced.
0: Yes, that's exactly
1: where we are. And that's where we were going to get from the beginning. We forget the very beginning of the op. They showed their entire hand. The first bailout thing had a digital dollar in it. If you look at what you can see from the Pfizer contracts, it patently said that they were looking for sort of 300 million, for the US, 300 million injections monthly, or like it was actually 12 times 300 million. From the beginning, that's where the plan was. This is a huge plan, which means they don't always get what they want and implement it, but that's clearly where we are. And people, especially the Northern Hemisphere heading into winter, The area that's most important for the op from a medical perspective is the one that they obfuscate at that point in time. So the slide that you're talking about was super interesting at the beginning, very beginning, March of 2020. The narrative around, I hate using the word lockdown, but whatever. The narrative around the lockdowns, it was to even out emergencies going into the healthcare system. And that lasted a couple of weeks. And They reported deaths particularly in New York when where Cuomo was murdering people, they reported deaths on a daily basis, deaths in hospitals and, and overall deaths from it and so on, until that peak in death started to fade out. And then they moved to the, the PCR narrative kicked in around May and they started calling, and this is medically not correct, a case is someone who presents with symptoms and has a confirming test. But now it's just this, we're not going to get into the PCR thing. Everyone listening to this knows it. But more importantly, they started saying PCR and case And it was uh, Matt Hancock who said it first, as far as I can tell, in May, about using lockdowns to really suppress this virus, to really eradicate it. Before, because no one would believe that because it's pseudoscience, it was, we need to save the healthcare system. And then they shifted it to the cases and narrative and every piece of the story, they've obfuscated the part that is the most critical for what's coming next and where we are now. If you, everyone again, I'm sure you've had shows on it get into the weeds of how the CDC is reporting things like breakthrough cases and no longer asking people if they've been injected who have these symptoms. And people who are dying from side effects are being labeled as it's like well, they had spike proteins in them, yeah, because you just injected them mm-hmm. into them <laughs> and tested for it. So we've hit this mess where everyone who's dying of whatever the illness is and who is dying of adverse reactions is just being called the illness. So wherever you go the blurring happens. That's where we are now and heading into the northern hemisphere. I actually think this is why Britain delayed its passport over the winter because if you if you do like a French style restriction not only will they get more unrest but what will happen is the people who've been injected who are going out will still get sick and you won't be able to blame the people who haven't been injected. So I actually think one of the reasons they're waiting till after the winter is that you can carry on the the narrative of the uninjected being injurious to the injected over the winter. And that's when you see that coming, you just need to know there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there is, but yelling about it isn't going to help. Seeing it and kind of adjusting your psychology (laughs) and your attitude in advance is going to be useful, I think. But if you break it into quarters, which is what I did, you see how the narrative has changed And that's important because, when I said this from the very beginning too, we will be arguing about the numbers on our dying day, just like JFK, just like the rest of it. And that's just a hobby, right? It's a hobby to do that. And it's not even, I don't even necessarily mean that pejoratively. But if you're still arguing about whether or not the virus has been isolated or whether or not PCR tests do anything or all the rest of it, Have an opinion on that and have an informed opinion. And that's cool. But if that's where your head and heart are in September in the year of our Lord 2021, you're not ready for what happens next. Right. You need to be looking at where the narrative goes next and release that. It's gone. Yes. (laughs) That is not what happens.
0: So important. And that is these other two aspects. Of course, when it comes to the medical, Adam Curry has been using the term immunity as a service as to what they're rolling out. And I think that's a great phrase that kind of sums it all up. And so getting past the medical, let's look at the financial because this is where the predictions get bold. We had the first attempt at a central bank digital currency and the first stimulus bill, like you mentioned. We have BlackRock and these big companies buying up single-family homes across America like crazy, right in line with the you-will-own-nothing-and-be-happy-about-it future they've been talking about at the World Economic Forum. And then you say the plan for the next 18 months is to get that central bank digital currency established, have it delivered to people through a compliance app, And we'll see those compliance requirements segue over to fighting climate change instead of fighting some virus, probably a mix of the two, but elaborate on this financial phase over the next 18 months.
1: Well, so that's already happened. Like the news, depending on when you're listening to this last week, Microsoft, which is the same company that's been involved in the BAS innovation hubs to deal with CBDCs and also injecting chips into black arms in West Africa to kind of incentivize, with Garvey, of course, incentivize various injections even before this all happened. They're powering the infrastructure around this climate change credit card where it literally won't work on stuff that has been deemed to have too much of a carbon dioxide impact. So they're actually testing the pipes on how you can deliver pricing based on, and by the way, and, you know, this is my background And actually what I do, but the notion that red meat has this sort of disastrous carbon footprint versus modified pea protein grown in Bill Gates's labs is wrong. It's as wrong as anything else in it, just if people are wherever you're at on that kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter. It's that they don't want you to eat the meat so that your steak, which is already appreciated, I don't know, 40% in the last 18 months in terms of supermarket prices, you either won't be able to buy it or if you've driven, let's say, 30 miles that month, you won't be able to buy it. And they're testing the technology on how to do that now, and that's part of the BI. So the company that's at the center of delivering CBDC pipes, if you will, which is MasterCard, (laughs) is injecting (laughs) chips experimentally into Black Arms in West Africa and is also happily announcing that they're trialing how to do climate change credit cuts right mm. so this was always the plan and you see it in the guardian you saw it last year in the middle of lockdowns you saw it from the world economic forum the whole like wow how quiet and clean cities are and whatever as you know children are committing suicide and and independent businesses are going under how quiet and clean everything is so that's the next step that was always where they're going to get to and depending on where you are in the world people sort of further ahead and less so new south wales here in australia is going to implement some sort of app-based digital currency next year, according to Gladys Berjikli. And there was a press announcement about a week ago on that kind of stuff. So you build out the infrastructure, the digital infrastructure, based on compliance with the injections. So you will not get your "quote-unquote" free money. It's not unless your so-called vaccine passport is up to date. And it's funny. I think we're in a situation where, again, even arguing about, although this is probably more urgent for people's physical health, arguing about what's in or whether one should have the injections, which is always a personal decision. It's like a ritual of compliance. So that's kind of why they want as much of the military and as much of the police force and everything injected, because it's a demonstration that they will comply and do the next thing that they're going to be asked to do. It's a psychological operation as much as anything, particularly if you start giving people monthly or six-monthly injections to participate in, what they consider to be a return to normal life, but is a free-range prison, right? So that whole process has been designed. The, the app effectively has been the goal, not necessarily depopulation or any of that stuff. The digital infrastructure has been the goal. And we're at the point, it's kind of like the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you, he's trying, like flipping the idol for the bag of dirt. They're kind of doing that pivot Well, that's what's going to happen next. The next 18 months is that pivot to rolling it out for climate change. It's not there yet, but that's where they intend it to go. And I would have thought it was, you know, children dying in stadiums that would have brought this project to a halt. But I guess it's going to be that instead. As far as I can tell, that would be my guess rather than a forecast or a prediction that we will get the whole way to vaccine passports and CBDCs. And then they'll start to use it for climate change and it'll come down is Is my guess. I don't know. But that's what happens next.
0: Mm. Yes. And related to that is the third rail of the digital slash political. You mentioned ID2020. We had the Great Reset, government check-in apps, absurd staged ransomware cyber attacks on industries that Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates don't like, such as meat and energy We have Klaus saying things like we should be worried about a cyber pandemic and he wants citizenship for the internet. And then we have Cyber Polygon, which is like an event 201 for a cyber pandemic. And in the next 18 months, you say they'll try to make the jump from vaccine passports to that being your internet citizenship. Vaccine passports used for international and interstate travel, as well as store visits. And I do see some pieces in place trying to pull this off. So many conversations in the news media about how dangerous internet misinformation is, and we got to get at that. Well, tell us a little bit more about how you see this component of their plan unfolding.
1: Well, so that's long lived. They tried to use Russiagate to do the same thing. Um, they tried to get people to use in the US social security numbers too. And this is the bit that, It gets a bit technical, but we'll go with it. It's a question of where you verify someone's identity and my guess, and I think it's a good one because last year I built a sort of off the internet, sort of like social network for premium members, because I saw this coming a mile away. If you look in South Australia at the moment, the intention is for people to have some sort of, they're trying to pass laws to get verified identification for social media. Cause I thought it was going to be browser based. So. At some point, you either have to, let's just say, comply or have an ID check at the level of an ISP, so whoever's providing your internet, or you have it at a browser level or app level. And I thought it was going to be that because actually 80 to 90% of all internet activity, excluding pornography, because that's a huge amount of it, is in basically 10 websites or apps. So you'd expect YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Google so on like the ones that you all know you use and probably shouldn't is where the majority of the internet traffic is so it's actually a cleaner way to get a id verification if you're trying to implement that at the level of either the browser itself so chrome or the level of the website or platform is better because most of it's in app something like facebook or youtube that was going to be my guess and the reason the reason i think that again this is where we get technical is the other part of the fourth industrial revolution is the internet of things. So you actually can't clog up the pipe, the internet service provider, the mobile provider by verifying IDs, because the intelligence isn't there to work out is the fridge accessing pornography or is it Greg? (laughs) You actually need for the whole system to work, continuous connectivity, but you also need to control people's thoughts and minds. (laughs) So my guess was going to be that it will be at a browser or platform level, and that guess again has been borne out by some of the deranged laws that we Australia appears to be the test market for them, including you need some kind of ID. They're trying to make Facebook as a sort of state requirement verify that you are the person you say you are. The good news is these are all ghastly, and this comes back to the counter-economics thing and cyberpunk, is, well, you need to get better at the... I don't necessarily, this is, again, I don't know how technical people are. I don't mean like, let's all migrate to the dark web. What I mean is you probably do need to upskill your digital competencies to stay one step ahead of where this stuff is going. And in fact, we kind of know that. I've been saying for the beginning of the year, I love Odyssey as a video platform. It's fun. It feels like YouTube used to be, Yeah. right? I mean, most of it's kind of dank, but not necessarily, And, and it just has that. People actually read and respond to the comments. You know, it's not even just that it's, which it is, a good platform for delivering video. It feels like a real internet again. (laughs) And just like Telegram, I don't mean like, let's all go to Odyssey. That's the right choice for now. That and Rumble, because Glenn Greenwald's on it. Why not? But how you move and stay one step ahead of that is going to be important especially as it's not just that the majority of traffic is on these websites the majority of people will never leave them so they will rather than leave facebook if you're in south australia will give facebook their verified digital id to continue their all caps rants about china or something so if that's not you you need to move and that's the good and the bad news like, It's actually quite empowering when you can see what's going on around you to take those actionable steps rather than doing things that don't, have never, and will never work, which is arguing about graphene oxide on Facebook, right? (laughs) That's just not the game that is being played around you.
0: Fair, fair. And in terms of some of the advice for the financial, you mentioned if you can afford it, get what you need now due to inflation. and. One other thing I didn't expect is get notarized documents for the important things that you own and your bank account balances. That's interesting advice that I have not heard anywhere else.
1: Yeah. Well, the cyber pandemic could be one of several things, including an EMP that they'll blame on Russia or China, probably China at this rate. And part of that is an eradication of digital records. So... And they'll actually just say, oh, so you've lost everything, but here have a UBI, by the way, you need to be injected, right? So that's actually the sort of Canada roadmap that was leaked at the end of last year. So if it happens in Canada, that's alarming, right? But in New South Wales, they're no longer doing physical, or they've announced that they're no longer doing physical title deeds for properties. So that's all going to be digital. What that means is there's no documents to prove in the event of an EMP or similar There's actually no documents that will say you own the house that you're in. Right. So it's more out of an abundance of caution to have these things. But also, we move into a dystopia where people can, which happens now. Like, if they want to bring someone down, they can just put child porn on their phone, you know? Yeah. So if you're moving into a world, you're like, I'm not, I am concerned. I actually have assets. I'm concerned about this. So, our justice of the peace, which is how we, our notary, if you will. In my little town is the woman who runs the post office and she's lovely. So if I want something notarized, I'm in the post office every day, picking stuff up and delivering it. I'm not asking anyone to build a bunker, but I am saying if you are concerned, if you have personal concerns about assets and the rest of it, then get some notarized documents and have them in a fireproof vault or what have you. I'm just going off what the people attempting this up have said they want <laughs> mm. if you take them at their word it gets quite predictable quite quickly that's one of the things i wanted to have for people out there it's not that big of a deal to get these documents notarized you can just tell the notary like oh, i'm putting this in a safety deposit box i want spares it doesn't look weird or crazy and also don't put them in a safe deposit box uh, <laughs> for the same reason if you're in a situation where you have an a deliberate or accidental erasure of the kind of records that your economy runs on, you're also not going to be able to get into the box. Hmm. So that one I put at really easy to do somewhere between five and 10% likely, but like on an individual basis, people listening to this show well under 1% as a scenario. I don't think it'll get that far, but if you kind of know this from the post-war reparations when it came to the surviving Jewish families trying to get their assets and property and everything back from the Nazis. It's very difficult, and it's why it's still ongoing. It's very difficult to say, oh, that painting belonged to my great-uncle. I'd like it back, please. Because you don't have any documents for it. Of course you don't, because you weren't, no one was expecting what happened, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those situations where you go, you know, once bitten when it comes to this stuff. And the digital strategy doesn't swing on it, but it's also, if it's causing you anxiety and it shouldn't necessarily cause you anxiety, but you should be thinking about it a little is just, just get some notarized documents, all the rest of it, and just have them somewhere and go, okay, cool. Even if it's part of your bug out bag or not, just to know that how do you prove your life and your existence? In even if it's temporary, like a zero internet or zero electricity situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is good advice. I'm glad we mentioned it. And along the lines of the EMP, I've been seeing more and more articles from these like live science websites that say, hey, do you know a solar flare could wipe out the electrical grid and the internet for several months? Which when you start seeing a higher proximity of those types of things, always something to pay attention to. And probably right in there with the EMP. They'll just blame it on either another country or the sun itself. Yeah. If they're not ready
1: to start the war with China or wherever, they'll just do it as a solar flame.
0: Yes. Uh, and
1: that's in Starships. That actually happened. The last big one that disrupted technology was, I think it was 1889. It was called the Carrington event. And really the only thing at the time was the sort of British cable network. But it busted the cable network across the Atlantic for a couple of months. Most of the world didn't run on electricity. Now we're talking about hospitals and all the beeping, clicking and whatever. Your food and healthcare system is really top heavy. Like it's an inverted pyramid because it is critically reliant on the weakest part of the infrastructure, which is basically electricity, but like digital systems. Whereas we shouldn't have done that. We should have made sure that everything can work without electricity and have kind of like more nuanced and finalized personalized application of these things using electricity. If we lose it, people don't realize like the whole thing comes down. Probably not, although in some US cities, yes, the water will still come out of your tap, but not in all of them. But basically everything else, everything else runs on electricity and there's a lot more wires to replace. So it's fine to say it'll knock the internet out for three or four months. You actually have to replace that infrastructure. You have to replace all the base stations and the the cell phones and the towers and everything that are required. It's not just, it's not Jurassic Park. You don't send someone in to flip the switch back on.
0: Mm-hmm. Man. And this was a line from the fairies, UFOs and Psy course, but I wanted to highlight it here. You said the state has used mind control and magic everywhere. And I think it looks like that more in the West because we are out of right relation. And obviously that's an entirely different context, but I think it is very important. We are victims of tools that we've been conditioned to believe don't even work or exist. And to turn this into a question for you, in previous shows we've talked about how Americans are at the epicenter of mind control and EMF intensity and cultural manipulation and weaponized news. So we were primed to react poorly to all of this over the last year and a half. What aspects of this op and the responses do you find to be uniquely American or uniquely Western compared to how other countries and populations have been responding? Ah, Interesting way of phrasing that. So
1: one of the things we focus on in the course, and it was a homework for one of the modules, is for people to go and do a history and etymology of the word reverie, where we get that from. Because again, when we've spoken about it on previous shows, there's a the West has the stupidest theory of mind that any culture has ever come up with, which is that mind equals brain. It is stuck inside a monkey skull and it has no relation to other brains or minds or anything anywhere in the world. It's just this like dissociated blob of temporary consciousness, which is itself like an illusion. It's just so stupid. But what that does is it allows you or it forces you to, Cut yourself off from the majority of human cognition, which is to say your feelings, your bodily experience, your unconscious impressions. When thoughts and memories of grandfathers or spirits or something arise in you and give you advice and say, don't take that injection or there's something not right about this. We actually, and it's kind of sexist as well as being materialist, we dismiss that as kind of like womanish nonsense. And that makes you very susceptible to mind control because one, you're gaslit at that point, right? because your whole self is experiencing distrust and rightful suspicion of a scenario or a situation. And then there's this like t- tiny like frontal cortex bit going, like, no, it's fine. You're being irrational. And you have this kind of twisting and pulling apart of what you know to be true versus the words that are coming out of your mouth. Like if you look at the people calling for the death of the uninjected on Twitter, one, say that to my face, but two, do you actually think that? What level of cognition has and for doctors to say like, we should let the uninjected die. That's the result of mind control. And I mean mind control, not necessarily in the kind of Cold War sense of beaming radio waves into someone to get them to say funny words like Manchurian candidate stuff. I just mean, when you realize that fear and control and security are genuine psychic forces that will come to sort of constellate or capture like entire populations when you know that and people did know that they did know that manias would erupt in populations we used to have a language for it that was easy to navigate and easy or easier to navigate because it kind of contains its own healing within it we think all of that is non-existent which means we're more susceptible to it right so That's kind of what I mean, that your thoughts and feelings and emotions are a kind of real, but not just that. True, holistic human thinking, human cognition, is when all of these, the bodily force and the emotional force and the intellect and all the rest of it are contributing to the kind of inner discussion that leads to, I don't know, action or non-action even. But that's, we're so susceptible to be the victims of mind control Because this stuff we're told doesn't exist and our ability to have access to it nutritionally with EMF, with light pollution, with the rest of it has been permanently removed from us. That's the other half of it. The actual practice part of it is I do a lot of work in and with absolute darkness, either in my spirit room or out in the woods here because I have plenty of woods. And I mean like absolute darkness. I mean, no lights, don't take anything. And to be in that, which is an experience that humans would have every night of their lives up until 150 years ago. So there's no, we're in the worst possible position (laughs) to deal with something that's very urgent.
0: Right, right. And comparing America to how some other countries are experiencing this. I mean, it's sad that Americans are not Rebelling in the way that even other European countries are. I mean, it's obviously a media blackout, but you can go online and see these ridiculously huge images of these protests that are happening in several European countries. And then there are other countries outside of the Western bubble that seem to be just quietly using ivermectin. Even, I think, in some cases, sending it to all their citizens, which is something I said at the beginning with vitamin C and zinc. And it's like, Wow, that's just so, so different. And there's so many Americans that have been so propagandized that they're like, they would think that was complete nonsense. And it's the actual answer. It's just crazy.
1: So that's two things. We'll start with this one. It's just shitlib racism. So it looks like Americans. But again, what you're actually seeing is the classic shitlib racism of thinking that it must be some sort of former Trump supporters who are taking horse paste when it's like, oh, really? So brown doctors of Mexico and Peru and India and Africa that are turning around their health incidents with this medicine. So are they just like bad doctors? Why are they bad doctors, Mm shitlib? It's not just that everyone, non-Western countries have been quietly using it. Western countries appear to have only noticed it in the last few weeks. Thank you, Joe Rogan. (laughs) And I was waiting for it. It's the same racism. It's actually in the same way that America look at it internally at its own like mortality data and go, this is really serious. And I'm like, leaving aside just how fraudulent the data are in general, it's like, why don't you consider how other countries have gone? And you can't. Like shit libs just cannot, because it's an ideological capture at that point. As for why Americans aren't protesting, they will, but also you have like a political setup that has escape valves. It has pressure valves where other places don't, right? So the the countries that, or the states that are most likely to have the mass demonstrations are the ones with the least restrictions Yeah. because the blue states are basically Borg. And we were just talking about how things are going, who knows, with the Newsom recall. I'm not optimistic because you have people whose identity is built around compliance in blue states. And the ones that don't are more likely to live in places where the freedoms aren't as curtailed. That setup isn't the same as somewhere like Australia or European countries where, whilst you'll have local councils and things, there's literally no escaping the diktats. They just happen. So that's a big part of it. It It will still, as we're plainly seeing, this ends in the great American divorce sometime this decade, probably towards the end, but who knows at this point. But we can clearly see states splitting into factions and going their own way in the next few years because every single step that demented potato takes at the behest of his paymasters is resisted and rightly so at a state level and whether it's texas or mostly florida or wherever and so the the attempt at different overreaches and underreaches and ways around it it is literally even if we're talking about injections and the rest of it That's just the modern manifestation of a discussion that was going to happen anyway, which is a kind of classic states' rights versus totalitarianism situation. So that's my understanding from the outside when I look at why America, especially at the moment, because everyone, and rightly so, this is particularly the mainland, the tyrannies that Australians and Kiwis even more so have to deal with is crazy. But so far we haven't had our head of state say, on a mass level, all employers of over 100 people, they all have to be injected. Like, so we, different countries are different parts of the tyrannical op. Like, we haven't had that yet, but we've had other stuff. And I think that's because of the American political system has escape valves in the way it was put together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those pressure valve points are really good. I totally agree with you. And for the audience's sake, we are recording this in the afternoon of that election day. And I looked before we started and we were talking that it looks like it's 57% in favor of keeping gruesome newsome. And it is funny because how many people left California over the last year because they were just sick of it and moved to a place like Texas or Arizona. Maybe that's the 7% we could have used to keep it a little a little closer at least, but whatever, I never get my way with politics. It's funny you
1: mention that, like Canada is talking about, I don't think they'll get it for this election, but they're going to try and make injections mandatory for
0: voting, voting, Oh
1: my God. Not that voting does anything, but this is the same as forcing your entire military to get injected and the ones who don't to leave. What that does is it washes out the people who aren't gonna comply. So the people who are happy with monthly injections who vote what are they going to who are they going to vote for trump i mean or whoever like actually he was pro-injection but like you're just selecting to make sure that you can carry on with your technocratic agenda it's the same with police force injections and health care and, healthcare and the rest of it
0: yeah it's insane and uh another thing i wanted to mention is when you did the astrological forecast for the second half of the year with austin kopic which everyone should check out The biggest takeaway for me was this interplay we have with Saturn and Neptune, which you expressed as the dream of control, which I thought was brilliant because of the qualities of those two planets and what we're seeing. It's so ambitious. It does seem like a Rockefeller wet dream, a shooting for the stars, over the top kind of thing. And the dream of control, dream being Neptune and control being Saturn. I mean, that's just awesome. Well, not so awesome to experience, but it's a good framing. But there's the surprising
1: good news in that, which is that Neptune is not just dream, it's diffuse. The reason there's such a tension there between Saturn and Neptune is it's not actually knowing how these things will happen. And that's literally the World Economic Forum, right? That's oh well, we'll just chip everyone and they can all eat modified pea protein. I'm like, yeah, that's just a fucking take. You just <laughs> said a thing in a seven-star resort in Davos. Someone actually has to deliver that. Someone has to build that app and someone else has to make sure that you have it on your phone and some kid in a grocery store has to make sure when you walk in that they sighted it and what have you. So it's kind of like the dream of control in the sense of it works so well. It's control of dreams. It's the free range prison that I mentioned before so that you're not, you're actually, the bars are invisible but they've never been stronger. But it's also, Not knowing how to implement it because it's just, it only exists at a kind of billionaire dream level. That's the good news part of it. The stuff that they want to do, I mean, we know it's insane, but like it's insane on the level of implementation. And we'll get to that point. (laughs) We'll get to it sometime probably next year of going like this actually can't work. But by then they're so far into it. I mean, they're already past that. They're so far into it, you can't back out now. The idea that they can turn around and go, whoops. What a zany overreaction these last 18 months have been. Let's everyone go back to normal. Too far into it. The only, <laughs> the only way out, the only way off this plane is down. And that's kind of the good news in the story of Saturn and Neptune.
0: Fair. I like it. I just am always intrigued by those qualities, how we see them manifest, and how accurate they really are. And... Another great quote along the lines of your Make Sanctuary post that I wanted to squeeze in here is this, where you say, in the Gospel of Thomas, we find if you bring forth what is within you, you will bring forth what will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And this is where coherence comes in. How do you get in your own way? How's your diet, your sleep patterns, exercise, meditation, daily spiritual practice, digital health and behavior? How is that rampant cocaine addiction? How many neoliberal tantrums have you had this week? There is a cowardice of not bringing forth what is within you that will destroy you. But there is also the trash you litter across your own runway before takeoff. And bravo, man. That is really good. We really can't afford to coast right now. We can't afford to not be our best selves right now. But when it comes to identifying that unique thing within us that we ought to bring forth, help the folks out there who haven't nailed it down yet, how do they get at that?
1: Yeah, it's challenging. Like Desire is something we're just terrible at, right? And it's been a long kind of theoretical and actual obsession of mine so we did a a wealth magic course last year that does a lot of work on desire and i did an event when we could still travel a three-day event called the metaphysics of desire in new york so the theory of this is it's not just the kind of particularly american conditioning of being resistant to the things you desire because they're of you know Again, cultural conditioning of like, oh, you're not supposed to covet wealthy things or whatever, the sort of like modified Christian overlay. That's certainly a factor, but very often it's the people don't, people don't know what they want. They don't understand the difference between the desire that's kind of pulling them towards a future. And there's a metaphysics of that. Like that's how a lot of cultures think the world kind of runs, that you are pulled into the future by what we would call desire by like a telos or, or that drive toward meaning. But it's also, it doesn't come through as the right thing. So my example that I used for myself for this year was, what is it about Peru, for instance, that I am longing for? So break that down because I can't get to Peru. Adventure, mountains, like mountain adventure and so on. And Tasmania is actually the most mountainous island on earth. I think about 66% of it is mountains. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I've got a few of them, but it's actually about like, what was it, that kind of novelty and that contact with a certain kind of like biological reality with the things that were in it. And that's how you can get in your own way. There's all kinds of stuff that you can just be unhealthy about on a physical level, but also emotionally and internally about either not feeling worthy of desire or that you somehow shouldn't desire or covet what it is. And that, that can be worked on as well. But also, like, what is it about when someone says to me they really want to travel? I'm like, okay. Never ask a why question. A why question shuts down on yourself or if you're having doing this with someone else. A why question will actually shut down the thinking process about it. It's like, what appeals to you most about traveling? What do you think it would be like? Or What's your best-envisioned travel day? And get them to explain, oh, well, it's, you know, sitting there having coca tea in Cusco or what have you. And you, you get them to kind of pull out these motifs or so you can do it for yourself. Why do you want to be, not the why, but like, what is it about being like literally an accountant, if that's what it is? And if you don't do the why question, if you do the what instead of pulling out the motifs, it may well be that accountant is the right thing, but it might be that you enjoy helping other businesses and you enjoy learning about all kinds of like different ways that mathematical or financial systems work on a small business level. And that's legit. People like that stuff. So we're just so bad at sitting with and allowing these kind of desires to come up and through. And coming back to the metaphysics of you chose this, and I don't mean you chose your life. I mean, you chose to be on earth for this. What that means is you didn't just come here, maybe you did, to bear witness to the stuff that's happening. You chose this incarnation and you probably have some things to do with it regardless of what's going on. And so that doesn't mean pretending the world isn't, like I wouldn't start a dive bar in Manhattan at the moment. I think that if that's what what your dream is, you're going to need to do that extractive process. What is it about a dive bar in Manhattan? It's like, well, it's the excitement of like a city and like a late night economy and it's meeting people and whatever. And you'll have to do that desire unpack and find somewhere better for it. So it's not about just toddling off into the apocalypse going, yay, I want to be a movie star it's sitting with, well, what is that? Because it's going to come through different because the conditions have changed. And if you don't do it, you'll, you came here to do that. You are the universe itself expressing it. So if you don't allow that expression to come through, it will destroy you. Mm -hmm. And that's not just me saying it. That's Jesus. That's Jesus (laughs) himself in the gospel of Thomas.
0: So there you go. Amen. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was a great thing to add to the stack because people, could probably use a pick-me-up and a little bit of guidance. And this seems like a good thing to go out on. But you've also been doing this Lenormand card deck show, going over all the 36 cards in this tarot-adjacent type of fortune-telling deck. And you write, I have to say, there are a lot of unexpected benefits of doing a weekly live show and project about Lenormand cards. It forces you to get into the guts of what even am fortune telling and how to do it every week. By the time all 36 cards are completed, that will be a lot of time up in them guts. And I like that. What would some of those unexpected benefits be? So it's
1: actually been really fun. And one of the reasons that Colin and I conceptualized this project, it's called Fortune's Fools, if people, you can find it on YouTube, was speaking of making sanctuary, I wanted a place where At least once a week. Because, like you, I do different, but kind of like intense shows. There's a lot of research, or you have to talk about intense topics, right? And this is just this quiet little project for anyone who wants to kind of sit in, come, go, contribute, watch the videos, show up, chat in the chat, give advice or input onto how the cards that um, Colin's designing, my co creator, Colin Alexander, are creating. And the biggest thing has been, up in those guts that I've learned is that if you spend enough time, it's almost like archetype theory. You spend enough time with each of these images and something weird will happen that week. So I just got back from, I'm the president of permaculture Tasmania and I just got back from the AGM and we were staying in a place called Spring Bay mill, which is this kind of like beautiful glamping site. It was once the biggest wood chip mill in either the world or the Southern hemisphere. So it's part of, on that kind of regenerative journey. It's all very permaculture. So we're in these yurt-style tents. And how you find it as you walk through the woods, there's sort of fairy lights just on the ground, which I thought cute from a fairy perspective. But actually the card we just finished is the garden. And so there are these fairy lights wrapped around the trees. And I don't spend a lot of time around fairy lights. It's not Christmas. I'm not Nigella Lawson. It's not a thing that happens to me very often. And it's just each week has been this odd motif match to the cards that you've just spent or an image that you've just spent an hour on so that's the biggest one which is that they work in a kind of weird ninth gate but make it gay sort of way where what happens in reality is matched to the cards I mean obviously it is or otherwise they wouldn't work but also that it's the images are very domestic and small and so there's something fugitive in the Lenormand in that make sanctuary sense because bio Kamalafe talks about like becoming fugitive to these conditions to head into the cracks to make sanctuary in cracks and create new things outside of this kind of like dominant war model machine and so there's something really beautiful about the cards being mice and like a little crossroads with the tarot you have the devil the wheel of fortune like towers coming down and all this kind it's all really beautiful and bombastic but there's a beauty and a magic that you don't realize is there in the kind of small stories of fortune telling and fortune's fools has been a really fun meditation on and with that
2: Hmm.
0: right on yes sanctuary and cracks very gay uh, yeah, true. But <laughs> I have watched a couple of them and there's a lot of cool insights about just how to read cards and art and meaning. It It is a lot of fun and I can understand how it would be just a cathartic side project for you. And I'm glad that you got that. It was kind
1: of proof of the, how you make sanctuary. It was sort of a proof of concept. Like I can't just write a post saying make sanctuary and like not do it. <laughs> uh, but also it has been fun because I, I mean, I've, we've done at least one course on the tarot in the membership area, which I'm really proud of as well, but when I'm talking to Colin, I don't realize. Gosh, actually, this is a funny thing to say. I actually know quite a bit about cartomancy, but I don't know what to tell people because I don't know what they don't know. So it's really fun when it naturally comes up in conversation that I can talk about. like if I'm reading for someone, and it's this or that. So that's been, I guess, pleasant to bring to the surface and kind of sit with. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, so I hope I'm not shit at this point. <laughs> but that has been really fun to kind of accidentally share those sort of insights.
0: Yes. Very cool. Well, man, you are one of my favorite people on the planet. I think one of my own challenges through this last almost two years now has been dwelling on the effects of other people's fear. I'm not afraid, but it does take two to tango. So no matter what I think, if people I want to spend time with think it's too risky to see me, That kind of hurts because in my head, the risk, quote unquote, is worth it because we have so much fun and mental health matters, I think. And from their perspective, I'm just not enough to be worth that risk on a Saturday afternoon. And, you know, that's one thing. But the other part of it is being so far down the rabbit hole. I'm taking so much inventory over all the limitations. Can't go to the comedy store. Can't go to this concert I bought tickets for because it's a vaccine only show now Maybe we're going to have an app soon and just all this crazy stuff. But when I really unpack it, I'm just creating my own limitations. Really, I could have a THC meetup every week and build a stronger local tribe. I could rent a boat or jet skis or paddleboard with the wife and have a good day on the water. I could hike some of the trails I haven't been to. Basically, I'm saying nature is open. Stop trying to go places that require someone's permission when so many other things don't. And there are fun people who aren't afraid. And the only real limit is my imagination and creativity as to how to keep living and experiencing joy. And you are one of the best inspirations for me. You make so much more out of your position than I do. You've gone to shaman school. You've climbed the ranks of Permaculture Tasmania. You've built your own local tribe. And you make me see how many resources I do have that I'm just not tapping into And I'm really going to try to channel more Gordon energy over the next year. So thank you for everything. You are greatly appreciated. And I look forward to the time that we can actually get together. Maybe we'll climb Walt Evan Wentz's mountain together or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. At this rate
1: for your kid's 18th birthday, maybe. Uh, (laughs) No, that's really nice of you to say, Greg. And I think, yeah, that's going to be a good journey for you. The... As you say, you can head out into the water and, and whatever. We did that. We got it's easier down here because all we have is nature. But I think that's a really great way of thinking about it. It kind of comes back to what you can do and what you can't do, and finding that joy. And it's been life changing to go. Okay, well, nature it is, right? Rather than the comedy store and so on. That's a journey I think a lot of people are going to have to go on. And I'm sorry that people don't think you are worth hanging out with, but they will. <laughs> they'll come around.
0: Right. It's about them. It's not about me. Yeah. (laughs) But you're the best, man. Of course, runesoup.com is the website. A premium membership is the key to unlocking the cornucopia of esoteric goodness that you got over there. Anything else to add?
1: No, that's it. I'm on the next series of Magical Egypt, which comes out in a couple of months. So if you see that floating around, I'll be there. But otherwise, everything is at
0: runesoup.com. Solid. Right on. Well, much love and take care, man. You too. Yes, people. Gordon the Great White coming back for the 14th time. (coughs) Gotta give it up. Always so much we could talk about. And I really was second guessing myself that I chose correctly or let the spirits choose correctly. But knowing that the last show wasn't about the big agenda and the next show isn't about it either, we do have to take time to talk about it. Here in the States, we are just two days away from the mandate on businesses with over 100 employees to force that shot. Already a lot of talk about nursing shortages because of the layoffs. New York City is bringing in the National Guard, for Christ's sake, to take the place of the unvaccinated nurses. Trucking and transportation shortages, shipping containers, and barges just stacking up at the ports. Kids are finally going back to school and they're going to fire 30% of teachers who won't get the shot. I mean, in a real pandemic, do you fire any nurses or qualified medical professionals? I don't think so. These are the people who are on the front lines in the hospitals. So shouldn't the virus speak for itself? Shouldn't the condition of these patients speak for itself? If we have a significant amount of people in this field, our best medical experts, who don't want the shot, isn't that curious? Shouldn't we have some follow-up questions? Why would that be? Since they are making the most informed decision of any other industry, and why do they really have to go now since they worked through the whole last year and a half? Not good. And as Gordon said, it is a ritual of compliance for the police, for the military, for everyone really. But in these crucial positions in the enforcement class, it's a sorting mechanism, and I worry that anyone still capable of independent thought will resign or get fired And so who's left, you know? It really is time to support anyone and everyone who stands strong in the face of this terrible, tough decision they should never have to make. And if you're cheering on the loss of a person's ability to feed themselves and take care of themselves and their family, shame on you. I'm going to remember what people I know said when this is all over a lot of people are going to have a tough time being proud of how they acted. Did you go around advocating that people get some shot you don't know anything about? Are there going to be injuries and deaths weighing on your conscience? And I know that I'm in the rabbit hole, and hearing a dozen stories can start to sound like the sky has fallen out there, but I am hearing dozens of stories of damage and death And they're kind of flooding out right now as these mandates go into effect. But are the right people finding them on BitChute? I'm not so sure. I would say, though, do not resign. Make them fire you, if it comes to that, in writing. Who knows how this is going to go six months from now? Who knows what kind of lawsuits are going to be happening? And you're going to want it all on paper. Provide your own job with written notices that you are not interested in leaving over this issue. A lot of companies are so scared of lawsuits that they will acquiesce on this. Why do you think HR is always trying to establish a long paper trail to cover their asses? But that's the show, and I needed these things that Gordon laid out to be on the THC record. I think it was a great use of our time. I really wanted you guys to hear the roadmap so you can prepare and recognize the signs along the way. Now I'm hearing they're going to put mRNA vaccine contents in salads because, of course, the only food they want us to be able to eat besides crickets, and where is it going to come from? Amazon? Whole Foods? Buy up the only high-end organic-centric brand and make it a vehicle for your bullshit? Only makes sense because this world is sick right now. It's fucking sick and I'm losing my patience. And people will cheer this on, the way they're acting out there. Good, finally, this is how we get those damn anti-vaxxers. Put it in their salad and don't even label it. Yeah, just shovel it down my throat with other toxic lab-made frankenfood until I glow in the dark. All right, inside voice, man, come on. You can do this. And so, yes, we talked about what's to come longer than I had planned. It's also the first time in a long time where the intro doesn't really make sense when it's just applied to the free first hour show. But hey, I've been doing this thing with Gordon for years now, and I got a bit overambitious. Plus, the material about this agenda is the kind of stuff that builds up, so it's hard to just say... Okay, it's been 30 minutes. Let's switch gears now that we're at the least talked about and most important parts of this subject. And he should get extra credit, too, for coming out with this over the summer, don't forget. But when it comes to what's going on right, right now and in the near future, I think we got to all the important stuff you need to know. But yeah, we didn't get into fairies until the second hour. And as a full two-hour show, I'm super happy with how this turned out. But the way I typically try to do it is to say, hey, let's lay out the scope of the conversation in the first hour, and then we'll dive into deeper details and side threads and my weird, weird questions in the second hour. But this is more like two separate shows entirely. I even had a good line about King Kong and Godzilla, and I was all excited, and now it's only going out to 5% of the listening audience. But look. Every full show I do, I try to make sure it's as good as it can be, and that's my job. And then it's up to you to decide how much of the show you hear. And if you're judging me on half an interview, well, it's like reviewing half a movie. I guess I don't care that much. (laughs) So we did the fun stuff in the second hour. That's fine. Plus, I know our next interview is going to be about his book, Animistic, and that's going to be really fun. So all in due time. But it does articulate how I am a man of two minds. This is the biggest, boldest, capstone cabal campaign of our lifetime. How are we not going to talk about it? But for my own mental health, and by extension yours, we have to talk about other things too. I refuse to allow it to take up more than half my time, or allow us to forget that there are other things happening and more mysteries to explore. I like to get into off-the-radar topics, and the COVID agenda certainly isn't off-the-radar. But half of those non-mainstream narrative-focused shows I consider to be almost lesson plans for the new world, doing my part to prepare us for the dominant of wider inclusion, help to focus us on tools we didn't know we had and what we want to see in that new world and the pathways and solutions for how to get there from here. I know a lot of us look at the size of the wave that's coming and it seems intimidating. But I think you know what you need right now. Secure access to local, high-quality foods and water. A bit of economic diversification. Maybe accounts at several different places. Probably best to go local there, too. A plan for if there is a false flag, solar flare, or some sort of major outage? I like to think the grid isn't just one big thing with an on and off switch, so it would probably be regional to some degree. Invoke Jack Sparrow and his nimbleness and optionality. And of course, do the right things to stay mentally and physically healthy. I really don't want to just keep repeating the advice portfolio we've been building up for a couple of years now. But it's time to shore up our game. For getting connected, use Telegram. Put in your city, find the local groups and resistor restaurants and retail lists. It's not a THC meetup, but I'm sure there will be something there for you. Become a part of the THC Telegram while you're there, too. And do not fight. Think of every action as a contributor to the global energy meter. Which way did you tilt the needle today, towards the negative or the positive? If the system wants more stress, fear, hate, violence, and aggression, are you inadvertently working for them? Or are you trying to create just as much joy, love, hope, acceptance, and all the other cheesy words, in spite of them and their plans and wishes? How do we reconfigure our relationship to joy rather than just not have it? Such a well-phrased question. I hope you've been thinking about that. Because depression, isolation, just trying to wait it out, not good solutions, guys. Plan now so you don't break later. Because we all have thresholds, as we heard today. I feel bad for Gordon being stuck. I know he doesn't need me. He's got a lot of friends and acquaintances he'd want to spend his time with all around the globe. But it's rare that I can't think of anything to help. I can't get on a flight. I can't put him on a flight. I can't do any of the normal things I might do for a friend in a similar situation, and it's fucked up. And I'm going to be a dad in two weeks or so in this fucking climate, talking about the idea that the digital infrastructure has been the real goal, climate change oriented credit cards, the marriage between us and our digital twin, the whittling away of things like conspiracy podcasts, giving you a list of where you can spend your new central bank digital currency just like an insurance company would. I really, really hope that people who value a show like this or a community like RuneSoup will fight to stay a part of it. They're going to make you jump through hoops at some point. But let's not spend the good times worried about the potential bad times. We all have our own concerns and challenges, and we'll all deal with these things as they come. But I hope you feel like you know what you're watching for more than you did this morning. And if you stuck around for the second hour, you heard a lot of great stuff about Gordons, Fairies, UFOs, and Course still going on now. What is Fairyland like? What is Elfshot? Missing 411. Gravity. Altered states and space ghosts. Jeff Bezos and the space orphan. Fairy sightings. Making sanctuary. Fortune telling. Action packed. Commercial free. Never one to waste your time. Eight bucks a month is all I ask so that I can do the best job I can do. Sign up for PLUS if you feel compelled to help ease my concerns about the digital clampdown or just want twice as much show. Take care of you and yours. We will roll with the punches and use the advice our great guests have given us. We chose this time. You came across this show. You're ready. You've heard it all. You're right where you should be and only moving further in the right direction. Believe and achieve. Check out RuneSoup.com for more. Big thanks to Gordon as always. And to you, I'm getting out of here. Your move mandate makers, freedom takers, and obedient, ignorant agents of the Pfizer-Moderna matrix. Your fucking Sometimes when
3: I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Processed stuff that makes you fat. It's a week and sickly people making industry don't Technology. And every now and then I try to quit and leave it be, but it's too hard to turn it off, it's getting worse and worse.